This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The bad kid in the school was at the record player and he looks at me and he wags a finger and he says, come here. He puts these headphones on my head, says, listen to this. And it was Hendrix. Welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book of the same name where I look at influential 90s musicians and where they are today. I'm your host, Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of the artists I feature in the book, as well as artists whom I love and respect. Today's guest is musician John Smith from the band New Shoes. You know them from their ubiquitous song, I Can't Wait, but their history is much longer and deeper than that one song. Today, John tells us about how Jimi Hendrix helped him find his musical groove. So we're talking about the pivotal moment it, that uh, changed my life completely. But to start, I have to set the stage. When I was seven years old, I read a book about a pathologist. It was Reader's Digest condensed book. And I immediately wanted to become a pathologist. The idea of not seeing patients, but being the guy down in the lab in the basement that diagnoses stuff uh, really appealed to me. It's kind of a loner even then. And then I wanted to be a scientist. And really, I don't think I was interested in the science as much as the theater of it. You know, labs with Erlenmeyer flasks and tubes running everywhere and bubbling beakers and all that stuff. I like the theater of it, honestly. So 
from age seven all through junior high school, um, I was going to be a pathologist. And I was going to a military school. I spent four years at Southern California Military Academy. I liked uniforms and playing army and stuff like any kid would in the pre-Vietnam era. And my mom said, all right, I'm going to make you sick of uniforms. <laughs> she was very smart that way. And so I was at Southern California Military Academy, um, and I got out in ninth grade, 1970. I went to a new school, and I had never, you know, worn normal clothes to school. I wore uniforms for four years. You never had to think about what to wear. So I got to this new school, and my mom sent me there. She made me get a horrible haircut, and she bought me some horrible clothes. And I went to school this new school, this new kind of hip school. And I was just a dork for the first uh, couple months that I was there. Well, at that time, school libraries put in record players because they wanted to be relevant. And here's the pivotal moment in my life. The bad kid in the school was at the record player and he looks at me and he wags a finger and he says, come here. And he puts these headphones on my head, says, listen to this. And it was Hendrix. Now, as a junior high school kid, I was really into Motown and James Brown and all that uh, black R&B universe. It was like another planet and I was instantly enthralled with it. So I didn't know anything about hippie music, you know, Hendrix and cream and all that stuff he puts the headphones on my head and i heard 30 seconds of hendrix and my life was transformed i like to say that my medical career ended right then and if you can imagine the image of sticking your arms straight out like a sleepwalker i went I have to do this. And so instantly I was a Hendrix freak. And a couple months later, this girl gave me a broken guitar. The bridge was hanging off by uh, one string. She said, okay, you take this guitar, give it back when you quit. And my neighbors helped me glue the guitar back together, taught me a couple chords, and I was on my way. My mom bought a piano right around that time, too, so I was kind of trying to play piano and guitar, and I didn't miss a day playing for the first 10 years, really. I was just hooked on this thing. And so, musically, I went through this whole journey uh, from Hendrix to uh, old blues finger-picking guys, and then Mahavishnu Orchestra, which was very uh, avant-garde kind of fusion thing and that led to Coltrane and that led to Charlie Parker and so now I'm just thoroughly into music but Bob Dylan said one time in this interview that uh, Johnny Cash was like a religious figure for him well Hendrix was really a religious figure for me and I think in high school all I did was study Hendrix 
I picked up some other things too, um, like Spanish, which I'll get to later. Um, I just wanted to play. I got in a band that was really awful and, you know, found some guys to play with. But then around 1975, I kind of absorbed this Hendrix highway child kind of ethos and so I hit the road hitchhiking I hitchhiked uh, up to Washington and I ended up in Portland Oregon and I fell in with this Latin band called Felicidades and I had picked up just enough piano to um play montunos those are the repeating patterns in a latin song dun, 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 dun. i really dug that and so i was hanging around with this latin band and i had learned just enough spanish it was like sayings that my uh spanish teacher used to say like boca grande mente pequeño which means big mouth small mind and i knew just enough piano and so I turned some of the things that uh, Mrs. Romeri used to say into Latin songs. I wrote three salsa tunes, and then I was in. They were like, well, can you play these piano parts? Yeah, okay. You know, with the, uh, the hubris of youth, I uh, just really uh, went for it with entire confidence. So now I'm in this Latin band with horns. And I got hooked on horns, and I decided that I'd, I wanted to become an arranger. Like, there's enough guitar heroes in the world, right? But uh, the arranging thing really appealed to me, like the big music paper and telling everybody what to do and writing these interlocking parts and stuff. I just really got enthralled with that. And so from Felicidades... That that band started to fall apart a couple of years later. And then I went to New York. And this is all because of Hendrix in the library, I swear. Um, I went to New York and I heard real Latin bands. And I went, okay, I'm not Puerto Rican, I'm not Cuban. I'm going to go back to Portland and start something really American. And after being in a band with horns, I couldn't live without horns. I wanted to be an arranger. So I came back to Portland, started New Shoes. It was a four-piece at first, but then uh, after a year, I added four horns and turned it into a big horn band, and that's when the band really took off. So that we played in the clubs for seven years. It, it was like Portland was the best music city in the world at that time because we looked around for a better place and Portland downtown there were 10 clubs that you could play we worked all the time five nights a week four hours a night and really we could really play <laughs> and we really sounded good that first two and a half years and then that band kind of fell apart and the next incarnation of the shoes we patched together and then a few years later, like, what, three years later, we had this massive uh, international smash hit called I Can't Wait. We went on one tour. I got kind of discouraged with the touring thing because 
people only want to hear what they've heard on the radio. Like they'd sit there with their hands in their laps. And then when you play the th songs that are on the radio, they're like, ah, you know, like people couldn't really listen in the way that uh, a jazz musician would want them to listen. And so I, after that one tour, I decided I didn't want to tour anymore. But we got a record deal. We were on Atlantic Records for seven years and made three albums, the last one of which they didn't release. So we got dropped after seven years, and I fell right into advertising. And now my arranging thing really came in handy because uh, advertising is like a different music thing every week. You know, you have to turn something around. So it's not like writing for the same band for seven years. It's like one one day it'll be banjos on the Mississippi and the next day it's like a big Latin thing. And the next day it's an orchestral thing or a string quartet. And I fell right into that because I kind of had this confidence, you know. Um, huh. so, so I ended up really spending 40 years as a professional musician, most of it as a professional ranger. And it all came out of that one little moment in the library when the bad kid at Chadwick School, he really was a troublesome character, but he said, come here, kid, listen to this. And it was 30 seconds of Hendrix that changed my life. I had a nice break from after New Shoes quit. I think I had about a three-year break from music. But of course, I was still playing music. Um, after the band ended, um, I took up ragtime guitar because I felt like I was never going to stand in front of a funk band again. But ragtime is kind of like... Ragtime guitar is kind of like having a 1910 style funk band on your lap so that's i'm cool with that it's very fun very difficult i'm just as active and busy as i was before uh one of my friends jokes with me that when i take a break it means i'm gonna you know write two novels and a symphony you know which is my way of relaxing i I work, as uh, Frank Zappa said, uh, 365 days a year, including Christmas and New Year. This is what I do. And we have evolved this philosophy called art as surfing. In other words, you just want to go out every day and surf. It's not about the accolades. It's not about money. It's not about having people love you more <laughs> or anything like that. It's just you get on your board and you go out and surf and we're art surfers. And the only goal is to go out every day. Sure. There's better metaphorical surfers than me, but I still get the immense pleasure of going out every day and getting a little better and a little better. Uh, I'm not a great graphic novelist either. But I'm on, I have uh, three graphic novels going, two are 
done. And the first two, I don't know, it's like my little garage band, you know, when you first take up an instrument and you start a garage band, you just go out in the garage and you pound. And so that's what I do. I get interested in something and I just hit it every day. And so, yeah, no, I, I haven't slowed down. Not one bit. I'm the same guy as I was at age five. And I just want to do this every day, whatever this is. I tend to move around from one to the other. Like I'll, I'll work at, the art for five minutes and then get up and play the guitar a little bit and then get up and do some adult thing like clean the kitchen and then lather, rinse, repeat, you know? I I don't care about putting stuff out. I I don't care if um, people read my graphic novels. I don't want to torture everybody and bug them to listen to my content or look at my content. I just like surfing (laughs) it. You know, that's what I do, and it's fulfilling enough, and I'm very, very happy. I won't stop doing music, but Bagtown was the last New Shoes record, I promise. And what's inspiring John today? What inspires me now? Well, um, I'm doing graphic novels now uh, just for fun. But uh, art inspires me. I have certain art preferences that I've collected over a lifetime. I think that our personalities are a set of preferences collected over a lifetime. And I've always liked the same kind of art Uh, from the time I was five. I remember um, going into kindergarten and saying, hey... (laughs) Andreas Vesalius's drawings of the arteries, you know, we had these books around and I, I really liked engraving art. I loved Albrecht Dürer and I loved Gustave Doré and all the engraving artists of the 300 years that they were doing that. So that's made its way into my art because, you know, I, I feel like I'm the same person that I was when I was five. You kind of wake up when you're five. And my preferences were already in place. I liked bebop. um, And I liked engraving art. So now, uh, all these things are, you know, all the things I liked when I was five, I'm still inspired by. I got hooked on this graphic novel thing because it's the perfect combination of writing a novel and making a movie. It's filmmaking, really, slow motion. We call comics slow motion animation. And it's just a wonderful thing. Big thanks to John for taking the time to share his story. I love his art as surfing analogy, and he continues to inspire us with his constant searching for further ways to unleash his creativity. A friendly reminder that you can pick up my book, 80s Redux, which features John and his wife, Valerie, wherever you buy your books. And you can also get my book, Live Through That, on 90s Artists and get 15% off using the promo code PODCAST15 by ordering at the link on the podcast page. If you like this show, please subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.